0: And I'm just super, super blessed tonight to have Barry Stagner with us. I have known um, Barry kind of from afar for a long time. And I have had the deepest respect for him in our Calvary Chapel movement. Because he has just been one of those faithful pastors. Faithful to the Word of God. And I love the fact that his heart that he has for prophecy... The heart that he has for Jesus, the heart that he has for for his church, and if you follow him on social media, you know that he is also a man who is radically in love with his wife, and I really, really appreciate him for that as well. Um, I, he's just such a great, great example um, for me, and so I am just over the moon tonight to have him with us tonight, to share the word with us, so would you please give a very warm Calvary Vista welcome to Pastor Barry Stagnan. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good, evening.
1: Good evening. It is great to be in Vista. I have been in Vista many, many times. My parents lived here for 25 years. And um, just to give you an idea when that was, one time when I came down to visit my mom and dad, she showed me the front page. Or I think it's called the Vista Press. Is that Right. And the front page right on top was announcing Carl's Jr. was coming to town. (laughs) So it was a while ago, and you guys have grown just a little bit since then. But thank you, Pastor Rob, for that very gracious invitation. And it's very, very nice to be with you this evening. Looking forward to our time together, and uh, let's ask God's blessing on it. And Father, we are so grateful that you've told us the whole story. You told us where we came from. You told us what we should be now. And you told us where we're going. And Lord, I pray that tonight would inspire us and challenge us and even correct our thinking if necessary. Because, Lord, it is so crucial that we understand the shortness of the hour and the lateness of the day. And, Lord, I pray, should there be any here tonight who are not ready, that they would be ready. Because it appears that you are ready to come and get us. And to that we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Bless our time in your matchless word, now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've only got one verse tonight, and it's Matthew 24, 44, if you'd like to open your Bibles to that. But among the many things that I love about studying Bible prophecy is actually one that is often overlooked. And it was something that Daniel was told as uh, he was wrapping up the series of visions that he had been given. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, he's told, but you, Daniel, shut up the words, meaning to put them away for now, and seal the book until when? The time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, has general knowledge increased greatly in the last hundred years? Uh, exponentially and a thousandfold, and it seems to double every couple of days if we really uh, track this technological and information age or should i say misinformation age that we live in but the fact of the matter is what daniel was being told is that knowledge shall increase about bible prophecy knowledge shall increase about his visions And the same concept is presented to us in the book of Hebrews, where Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Can I break that down for you? Go to church. (laughs) That's what it means, right? Go to church, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, that phrase, the day, is always in reference to the day of the Lord. The 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, as it's referred to. And we are to assemble together all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, doesn't that imply that we can see the day approaching? Well, of course it does. But it also reminds us that if the Bible said it, Satan's going to oppose it. If we are commanded by God to assemble together, the closer we get to the day of the Lord, then what's Satan going to try and do? Keep us from assembling together. What has he just done through COVID? Shut down the church. You guys can't meet. All the ridiculous things that we were told that we can't do. Too many churches objected to it, disobeyed it, because God has mandated that we meet together. So they said, well, okay, you can get together. You just can't sing. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're not going to sing praises to the one who saved our wretched and perishing souls. I don't think so. Not only are we going to meet, we're going to sing too. Amen. Amen. And thank you for that wonderful time uh, of worship tonight. I I have to say, I have this experience a lot, but I had it tonight. and It was such a blessing. And and, uh, actually at our church, the first Wednesday of the month, we call it praise night. It's an hour and 15 minutes of just straight up praise. And uh, I feel the same thing when that night's over every single week. And I felt it here tonight. And that is, thanks, I needed that. Ever feel that way after a time of worship? It just puts all the junk to the side, prepares our hearts to receive the word. And listen, what the enemy has been doing of late is trying to shut us down. Well, that ought to tell us that the day's approaching. If the enemy is opposing it, knowing, as Revelation 12, 12 says, that he has but a short time, then we ought to be looking up because our redemption is nigh. Now, the New York Times recently reported that Facebook's next target is the religious experience. And the article in the Times said the company is intensifying formal partnerships with faith groups across the United States and shaping the future. Facebook is shaping the future of the religious experience. Aren't you glad we're not practicing religion? We have a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And thankfully, we do have the aficionado of fact checking to guide us through these perilous times. Facebook. Anybody else get Facebook fact checked? Those guys wouldn't know a fact if it hit them in the face. It's just the most ridiculous thing that I've seen in a long time. Well, they're not trying to shape the future of the religious experience. What they're trying to do actually is to report to the government what's being said inside church walls. Well, the insider from November of 2022, a magazine that reports on such things, says Facebook has a special portal for government officials to request user content be throttled and suppressed for vaguely defined misinformation or disinformation, as they put it. In other words, they're listening to what we're saying and they're trying to shut us down. I know many of you uh, know my dear friend, Amir Sarfati, and many of you follow Behold Israel. And we have both had just a constant battle with social media, trying to keep the pages out there so people can see and hear what's being said and taught. And uh, social media platforms have just been uh, shadow banning us and fighting against us and doing everything uh, to keep the word and many other pastors as well uh, from keep, keeping the word from going out. And there's a myriad of other things that we see happening today that were unseen by previous generations, not the least of which was the regathering of God's chosen people into their national homeland known as Palestine. Where are you? You should be booing. It's not Palestine, it's Israel. Amen? It's the land of Israel that God gave to his covenanted people as an inheritance forever, and it's an unconditional promise that he has made to them and to the land and in the last days there's going to be such prophetic clarity that we can see the day approaching more so than at any other point in history and this is what daniel is told and this is what hebrews implies and this is what i would like to arrive at in our time tonight but first we need to do a little bit of eschatological housekeeping in our thinking now you guys believe in the rapture right Well, that's good, because it's going to happen at any moment. Could happen before this service is over. And those of you who are thinking, I hope it happens before this guy's done, shame on you. You shouldn't (laughs) be thinking that. Now, we've all heard about the doctrine of the rapture. We've heard that it's an imminent event. In other words, it has no precursor. It has no sign. It can happen at any moment. We know that Jesus himself said in the heart of the Olivet Discourse that no man knows the day or hour of his coming. Well, that has to be about the rapture, because the second coming can be calculated from the abomination of desolation that happens in the middle of the tribulation. It's exactly 1260 days after the man of sin declares himself to be God in the most holy place in the rebuilt third temple. 1260 days later, Jesus' feet are stepping down on the Mount of olives. So it's not an unknown day or an hour. He has to be talking about meeting the church and the dead in Christ in the air. Now... After he said, no one knows the day or the hour, he said this in Matthew twenty four thirty seven. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. Now, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that the content of the discourse will all happen in a single generation. He said he's going to come at a time that nobody knows. But the generation during which he comes will be like that of Noah's time. Now I understand why scholars down through the centuries have used the term eminency in relationship to the rapture and highlighting the fact that Paul expected the rapture at any moment. Many down through the church ages expected the rapture at any moment. And we should live in expectancy of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior at any moment. Amen? Amen. But here's the point. If the tribulation is a time of God's wrath, and 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says the church does not have an appointment with God's wrath, And if we are instead going to be delivered from the time of testing that is coming upon the whole world, according to Revelation 3.10, doesn't that imply that if we can see tribulation scenarios developing and forming today, then we should know that our collecting into heaven in the moment of a twinkling of an eye to meet the Lord in the air with the dead in Christ is near, since it has to precede the great tribulation. Now, this doesn't infringe upon or set dates. I'm not a date setter. But Jesus made it very clear that he is going to come for us at a time when things are like they were in Noah's day. Now, the fact that we are living in expectancy of the rapture of the church at any moment should get us more and more excited with each passing day. We should wake up and think every single day, didn't happen yesterday, so today's a better candidate. We're one day closer. And it's even more possible today than it was the day before that. And if it doesn't happen today or tonight before the service is over, or before the strike of midnight, it could happen tomorrow. I'm sorry, did my mic go off or what happened there? It could happen tomorrow. Amen. Now, are we seeing precursors to the tribulation? Things like wars and rumors of wars. Any of that going on now? How about international strife? Ethnic tensions Global pestilence Uh, Hello, we just went through one famines What about atmospheric and geological extremes and anomalies? Are we seeing any of those? Uh, Strange weather happening and all the other things that we've been experiencing lately. Jesus said these are the things that are going to increase. Even though they're naturally occurring things throughout the course of history. He said all of a sudden they're going to increase dramatically. And then he likened them. And in uh, Matthew 24, 3 to 8, in verse 8, he says the beginning of sorrows. That phrase could also be translated as the commencement of birth pangs. So he's likening these events to all of a sudden, like a woman who has been pregnant for nine months, all of a sudden she's in labor, and all of a sudden things get intense very fast. Has that happened? Has our world changed dramatically just in the last 24 months? It's a different planet that we're living on. And I want to talk to you about those last two things for a moment, pestilence and seismos. Now, in most of your Bibles, if not all of them, the word seismos is translated as earthquakes. But the Greek word actually cannot be limited to geological events. The word seismos could also mean a gale or a tempest. So it would include atmospheric events or things happening within the patterns of weather. Now, I'm sure that most of you have noticed that there's a lot of conspiracy theories that aren't theories. There's actual conspiracies going on. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now that we used to think of. Well, that's kind of science fiction. Well, we've got to drop the fiction because now... Some of the things we're seeing, they're just science. We are seeing them. And you know, there's a group that says trust the science, but they don't seem to know anything about science. Have you noticed that? They've got a problem with the gender list that God established in Genesis. How long is God's gender list? He created them male and female, end of gender list, period, end of sentence. And all of a sudden nobody can understand these things today and you are what you feel and whatever you think in your mind that has to be legitimized by other people and recognized even though the trust the science crowd doesn't seem to trust the biological facts or the chromosomal arrangement in every single human being. But I want to share a couple of things with you in light of what the Bible says we should be expecting in the last days prior to the rapture of the church. This comes from Science News. It's a legitimate, uh, it's not the Enquirer. It's a legitimate scientific journal. And the Science News reported uh, just in January, Earth's inner core may be reversing its rotation. Scientists have proposed that the Earth's solid inner core Rotates faster than the rest of the Earth, and new studies suggest the core's rotation has recently paused and is reversing direction. Now, this isn't science fiction, this is science. Our planet, the article says, January 23rd, 2023, ha- may have had a change of heart. Earth's inner core may have temporarily stopped rotating. They actually believe this happened uh, back in 2009. Relative to the mantle and surface, researchers report in the January 23rd Nature Geoscience. Now, the direction of Earth's inner core may be reversing, part of what could be roughly a 70-year-long cycle that may influence the length of Earth's days and its magnetic field. Now, the magnetic field influences weather. Are we having weird weather? Some say it even impacts the tectonic plate movement. We've had radical earthquakes in recent years. The poles, the magnetic poles of the Earth, have reversed in the past. No scientist would argue that. The debate is whether it happens fast or slowly. Some say it takes a couple thousand years. Others say it happens instantaneously, and there's cataclysmic events on the surface of the earth. Are there cataclysmic events during the tribulation? Well, this is pretty interesting timing to see the earth's core stop and now begin to reverse directions. Now, New Scientist magazine reports that the North Pole is moving. And if it flips, the headline reads, the earth is in trouble. Now, the magnetic north pole has been moving for a long time. It was for a great while in Canada, and, you know, uh, Santa had to pack up and move. <laughs> but it's been moving towards Siberia, and they, they've had to recalibrate GPS systems a lot faster than they normally do. It's not unusual for it to move, but it's highly unusual for it to move at the rate that it's been moving. And the magnetic pole is racing towards Siberia, but Why? It's a mystery with huge implications, and to solve it, we're building an explosive model of the planet's core, the article says. It isn't just that your compass can be thrown off by local quirks in the magnetic field. The North Pole isn't what it used to be. In 1900, the pole was in Canada. A century later, it was near Greenland. In the last 18 years, it has raced eastward at about 40 kilometers per year and is currently heading for Siberia. And the weird behavior of Earth's magnetic field doesn't end there. It also occasionally reverses its polarity. There were times in our planet's history, again, this is a scientific journal. There were times in our planet's history when a compass needle pointed to what we call south. Even now, there are spots under the surface where a compass would point in the wrong direction. And the article says, the scientific journal says, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus is coming. And things are going to get turned around. Amen? Now... What about pestilence? And the article concluded with the statement, the mystery has deep implications for technology and the future of our planet. Pestilence. An article in Business Insider said, scientists have revived a 48,500-year-old zombie virus from the permafrost and found it to be infectious. Scientists revived a 48,000-year-old zombie virus from permafrost. Thanks a lot. (laughs) That's what we needed, right? Some dormant virus that's been stuck in the permafrost. And by the way, permafrost is just frozen dirt and it's all over Siberia. But because the weather patterns are changing, the permafrost has been melting at a rather alarming rate. And the virus was tested on amoebas. but could indicate more dangerous viruses are lurking in the permafrost. And some scientists are concerned that thawing permafrost could reawaken ancient viruses. Now, let me throw something else out there. Did you know the continent of Africa is splitting in two? And geologists expect there to be a new ocean formed. There are spectacular things going on in our world today. And many of them, I believe, point to the nearness of the Lord's return for his church. And the one particular, by the way, we're still in the introduction to the message. We'll get there sooner or later. (laughs) But I want to focus on one particular thing on top of these unusual anomalies that are happening, that even though they've happened in the course of history, they are unusually severe in this very recent period of history. And it's that one statement that Jesus made in the Olivet Discourse that I told you to turn to. Matthew twenty-four forty-four. He said, therefore, you also be what? Ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, the one element that I don't think it's focused on often enough regarding the scenario regarding the last days that tells us it's time to look up our redemption as nigh is the fact that it's unexpected. And the Greek word dokeo that's translated as unexpected or translated as expect is found 63 times in the New Testament. But this is the only place that it's translated as expect. Elsewhere, it's translated as think or suppose. It's translated as seems good. And one occurrence is translated as best. So what Jesus is saying from the Greek, we could read as be ready for the son of man is coming when people suppose he's not. He's coming when he is not expected to. He's coming when things are not good. Are things not good right now? He's coming at a time when he is not thought of. And I believe we're going to find this to be true in three distinct areas in our world. Even now, very few are expecting the moment and the twinkling of an eye transport to the father's house at any day and hour. And the three places Jesus coming from the dead in Christ and living saints will be unexpected is in the world by the Jews and sadly in the church. Now, the world and the Jews is pretty much a no brainer. Now, we don't expect them to believe in the rapture. But there's some unexpected things we're going to talk about to prove that the day is approaching. And the rapture, though unexpected, could happen just any time now. But the fact that much of the church, or even most of the church doesn't believe in it, uh, is tragic. And we'll see that to be so in a moment. Now, in Matthew 24, 37 to 39, Jesus said, say Jesus Jesus said. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were... So also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, capture that phrase, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And what? They did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, there's a lot of Bible interpreters that say the Olivet Discourse has nothing to do with the church age, which I would disagree with uh, completely. Uh, what we just read has everything to do with the church age. And the flood was God's direct wrath on the whole world. It wasn't a localized flood. The whole world was flooded, right? You know, it's interesting. I've been watching a, a program. Anybody, any other documentary watchers out there? Uh, I, I've been watching a program... I think it's on uh, Netflix or one of those things. And uh, it's called Ancient Apocalypse. And it's talking about catastrophic events in the past. And, you know, curiously, uh, they never said anything about Noah, but all these places around the world that they've been visiting, they said, you know, for some reason here at uh, a, 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 an altitude uh, of eight, 9,000 feet, it, it appears that this was once underwater. Well, that's because it was once underwater. That's why it appears like that. Now, Jesus said before the flood and the days before the flood were not during God's wrath. God's wrath started when the door was shut by God on the ark and what was happening with the rest of the world. They weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting what was coming. And what were they doing? They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage and lived unexpected of God's wrath until the flood came. Now, There was another time where catastrophe was imminent, and the response of the people in danger was indifference. In Genesis 19, 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be what? Seemed to be joking. This, too, is a sign that precedes divine judgment. The wrath of God is viewed as a joke. It's viewed as a joke by many today, even many within the church. Interesting, uh, the Express uh, uh, in England uh, ran this article headline. It said, Richard Dawkins says an intelligent man like Jesus would have been an atheist. Now that's got to go high on the list of the stupidest things ever said, I would say, right? God in human flesh would have been an atheist. Now, this is the mindset of many people in these last days, as evidenced by the fact that the fastest growing segment of society today are those who would select none on any particular, uh, regarding any religious association on any particular survey or form. What's their religious affiliation? None. And that is the fastest growing segment of our society today. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12, through Paul says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, With all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. Are we living in that age? That they should believe the lie. That's the lie of the Antichrist claiming to be God. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The National Review reported uh, recently, just a couple of months ago, that the American Medical Association is urging the end of sex identification on all birth certificates. Parent one, parent two, no gender assignment to the child. And listen, I would have to say that believing gender is a choice is delusional. And the American Medical Association should be ashamed of itself. For making such a ridiculous statement that has absolutely zero science behind it and is 100% political. And the world today diminishes the person of Christ. The world today denies the creation narrative. Yet the world today also believes that nothing can create everything. The universe can create itself out of nothing. The world rejects long-held beliefs and biological facts. And takes pride for a whole month in what the Bible says is shameful and against nature. Now, I think it is as it was in the days of Noah, where the signs of impending judgment are ignored or denied, and delusion is the order of the day. Anybody in agreement? Now, here's why we should expect the rapture at any moment, even though that's always been true. Listen this evening, three things I want to share with you. Here's the first. When the world rejects obvious and proven truth, it's time for the church to go home. When the world rejects obvious and proven truth, it's time for the church to go home. Now, we'll talk about the why of this in a moment. But first, think about Jesus' comparison of the days before the rapture with the days before the flood. What was it like before the flood? Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Is that true today? Yeah. And every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Is that true today? Genesis 6, 11 and 12, the earth was also corrupt before God. Is that true today? Yes. And the earth was filled with violence. You know what I'm going to ask? Yes. Just say yes. yes. God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way in the earth. Now you add to this the fact that people were buying and selling, marrying and, mer- marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And yet Genesis 2 tells us that it had not rained upon the earth, but a mist came up from the ground and watered the earth. In Genesis 7:11, we read that the heavens were first opened, and for the first time at the flood, it began to rain. Now, the reason this is important, because Jesus said his coming would be unexpected. Now again, he's not talking about the second coming. There will be no indifference to impending judgment at the second coming. As a matter of fact, Revelation tells us in chapter 6 that the kings of the earth, the mighty men and all the other people of the earth are going to hide in the rocks and the mountains and call on them to hide them from the wrath who sits on the throne, him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6:16 6, and 17 says... And the reason they say that is because they recognize that the great day of his wrath has come and rhetorically ask who is able to stand. The answer is obviously no. Now, the estimates for building the ark range from 100 to 120 years. Now, to wrap all this together, that means that Noah and his family built an ark on dry land on a planet where it had never rained for 100 years, preaching that judgment was coming. And what did people do? They went on about their business acting like nothing was going to happen. Is that happening today? Yes. It is as it was in the days of Noah. And in Matthew 24, 3 to 8, what I call the preamble to the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gave the first indication that there will be false Christ. <coughs> and as a sign of his coming, because that's what Peter, Andrew, James and John asked him. They asked him, what would be the signs of his coming in the end of the age? He said, many will come in my name. And in one of the chapters, he talks about the fact that he says, oh, he's out in the desert. Don't go after him. Now, he said there would be wars and rumors of wars. He said there would be ethnic tensions, famines, plagues, and geological and atmospheric anomalies all over the world. And what is the world doing today? Just what they did in Noah's day, business as usual, acting like nothing is going to happen. But something is going to happen. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? And listen, when truth is no longer accepted as such, God is going to switch gears. He's going to remove the church. There'll be a great awakening like the world has never seen, including all Israel being saved. Now, I'm sure if you've been around Calvary Chapel for any length of time, not this one, but Calvary as a whole. uh, I've heard many, many times people say, what if you knew that last person to be saved and then the rapture would happen? Uh, Wouldn't you be all over them like a hair on a gorilla? Wouldn't you? everybody be bombarding them with the gospel? Well, listen, uh, I'm not sure where that started, but it it is kind of uh, off point. Because the fact is, God's going to keep saving during the tribulation. And he has an appointed day or hour set before the foundation of the world where he's going to come and get his bride. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the earth. He's just told us what it's going to look like when that predetermined hour and day that he set, uh, that Jesus even mentioned that he had set, Uh, for for us is going to happen it's going to be a mess in in the world the signs of judgment will be all around them Uh, uh, the people of the earth and people will act like nothing is going to happen it is as it was in the days of noah right now the world is filled with violence the thoughts and intents of human hearts is only evil continually the earth is groaning and travailing the remnant church is preaching judgment is coming and what is the world doing Buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage, unexpected of the impending judgment that's coming, just like the days before the flood. Now so is Israel expecting Jesus return? Is Israel looking up for the rapture of the church? Well, obviously no. There are some Jews that are expecting the Messiah to come, but uh, the Jews, the, the Orthodox Jews are expecting the Messiah to come, are in for a big surprise when he does come. And it's Jesus. In Romans eleven twenty-five to 27, Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, the key word in that passage is until, and until implies a change. The majority of Jews will be blind to their Messiah until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, the time of the Gentiles began in 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar and his army destroyed Jerusalem, carried off 10,000 of Judah's best and brightest, including uh, men like Daniel, uh, Hananiah Azariah and Mishael or we know them as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and, and the time of the Gentiles includes the whole of the church age and when the church age ends then the time of Jacob's trouble is going to begin now people often ask the question what's the purpose of the tribulation well the purpose of the tribulation is obviously to fulfill prophecy because God said there will be 70 weeks determined for Daniel's people and the holy city that's the Jews in Jerusalem But the three reasons that the tribulation is necessary is that it will prove to the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth is their Messiah. It will produce the largest great awakening in human history. A numberless multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation and people are going to be saved during the tribulation. And it will also bring the moral digression of man to its end. This is why there's going to be a tribulation. Now think about where we are as a world. Truth is now subjective and more about feelings than facts. Concrete medical and scientific truths are rejected in spite of empirical evidence that they are true. And when that happens, and it already has, then the gospel message is going to come under unprecedented criticism because it doesn't make people feel good in their sin. You know, I'm sure some of you have seen uh, uh, Justin Peterson. Anybody watch any of his videos? Kinda, did I get his name wrong? Jordan, he was asked one time by an interviewer, um, what gives you the right to hurt the trans person's feelings by not using their preferred pronouns? And, uh, you know, his, his answer was in his typical fashion, and I thought it was interesting and intelligent and all that. But the first thing I thought of is where did we ever come up with the idea that we have a right to live without ever being offended? After all, isn't the cross an offense to those who are perishing? That's what 1 Corinthians says. So we have to remove anything that's offensive. And if the cross is on the list... It has to be removed as well and the gospel that goes with it. And that's really the undercurrent of where all this is going. And truth is no longer accepted as valid. And the church is the only truth bearers in the world. And the only solution is for God to remove the church and begin to deal directly with national Israel once again, as he said he would. And yet today, there are many Jews who believe the church sided with Hitler. There are many Jews today who are atheists because of the Holocaust. There are many Jews today who are just secular and join the world in its moral downward slide into an irreversible state of delusion. And that's why Zechariah tells us in chapter 13 that during the tribulation, two thirds of the Jews are going to die. And it's the one third of the surviving Jews that are going to look upon the one whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his only son in Zechariah 12:10 at the second coming of Jesus. And in Romans 1, to 32, we're told, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. Is that happening today? Sexual immorality? wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, they're not ignorant of it, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, remember our definitions of expect. When things are not good is when Jesus is coming. Well, he must be coming soon because they're not good right now. And they're a mess right now. And they're a mess in the world. Israel is not expecting him to come back. And we'll talk about the church in a moment. Now, as I said, it might be beyond obvious that when he comes, he'll be unexpected by unbelieving Jews. But there are signs regarding Israel that tell us the change is about to come. In Zechariah 12:3 and 4, the prophet writes, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay a siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut into pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And this is going to happen during the tribulation. Uh, Anti Semitism is on the rise today, and eventually every nation in the world is going to stand and fight against Israel. Breitbart recently reported that pro Palestinian protesters in New York City called a globalized violent uprising, saying the only solution, it is the only solution to the Israeli conflict. Global violence is the only way to handle the Israel problem. Now, many times during a prophecy conference a subject will come up about the u.n and all their anti-israel resolutions that come from there and yet they say nothing about china who's got over a million i'm sorry over two million uyghurs who are uh, chinese muslims in labor camps what about iran are there any human rights violations there To say nothing of Cuba and other countries. And the UN is silent about these. But they have resolution after resolution after resolution against Israel. And the reason is because the devil is behind it. And the truth of the matter is. He says the people will see Jerusalem as a burdensome stone. And it's happening right before our eyes. But it's not just international strife about Israel. It's also personal strife that he has in mind there. And there's, who, do you know what the BDS movement is? Boycott, divest, and sanction. Boycott anything that Israel makes. Uh, divest your investments from any company that does business with, any company that does business in Israel, or does a, uh, conducts business with that is Israeli-related, um, and calls for sanctioning Israel by not buying those products. And in a year marred by Israeli apartheid brutality and massacres, Palestinian hope and unity shine through. This is from the BDS movement uh, here in the United States. Palestinian hope and unity shine through. So, too, does the outpouring of global support from trade unions, uh, academics, grassroots and civil society groups, artists and individuals. The word on everyone's tongue is unprecedented. Never before has support for Palestinian freedom, justice and equality been more popular and effective, proving that this time hashtag it's different. You see, it's not just countries that are turning against Israel it's people. Individual people in this country are turning against the nation of Israel. Boycott, divest, and sanction is not a government organization. BDS is individual people who hate Israel and are like many today, completely ignorant of the history and consciously ignore the facts. Now here's the second thing that i believe tells us we ought to be looking up because the rapture could happen today or tomorrow or the next day and listen when zionism is viewed as evil lift up your heads our redemption is nigh when zionism is viewed as evil lift up your heads our redemption is nigh people believe we shouldn't be supporting israel at all and zionism is the belief that israel has a right to exist in their national god-given homeland and, you know, people, I, I love the fact back in 1967, Yasser Arafat, who actually coined the phrase Palestinian as it applies to the Syrian Arabs that call themselves by that moniker uh, right now. The rest of the Muslim world, the Arab Muslim world, know that they are not Palestinians. They know that they are Syrians and, um, and Jordanians. And yet, because it's politically effective, they've created this people group. And, you know, it's easily disproven. Any particular people have a uh, architecture or uh, artists or uh, authors or coinage. And you look back prior to 1967, there's none of those things. There is no Palestinian style of architecture. There is no Palestinian coinage. There are no Palestinian uh, literary giants because there were no, there was no such thing as a Palestinian. at any time prior to 1967, uh, dating back to the first uh, alias that took place in 1892, when the word Palestinian came up, it was in reference to Jews who lived in the land of Israel that was often referred to publicly as Palestine. And geographically, Zion refers to the hill of Jerusalem where the ancient parts of the city were built, including the two temples. And the word Zion also is used much like Washington, D.C. or London in the sense that Zion represents the whole of a people. When somebody says, Washington says, they're basically saying, America says. Or London says, and they're basically saying, England says. And when you say Zion, you're talking about the nation of Israel. Well, the word Zion actually means a parched place. And in Zechariah fourteen four, we're told about the second coming of Jesus, where in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Some have measured it out to be thirty five miles. Half of the mountain shall move toward the south and half of it or towards the north and half of it toward the south. And Zechariah 14.8 says, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, half toward the western sea. The Dead Sea is going to come back to life. In both summer and winter it shall occur. In other words, it's going to be an ongoing event. And many Jews are expecting this to happen. But what they're not expecting is that the feet that touch down on the Mount of Olives are going to have scars on them. And so are the hands. And so is the side from when he was nailed on a cross. And the change that is coming in Israel is this, in Zechariah 12:10, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And this happens after Jerusalem becomes a burdensome stone to all peoples. And after all the nations of the world gather against it, which is underway as we sit here tonight. And listen, Jesus is not who most of Israel expects to deliver them. But expect it or not, he's going to. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is coming back to the Mount of Olives. And a parched place is going to begin to flow with living waters. The world isn't expecting Jesus. The Jews aren't expecting Jesus. But surely the church is, right? And by church, I mean the universally referred to group by that moniker not uh, all churches are actually churches now not all israel are of israel as paul wrote in romans 9 6 so too not every church is an actual church and not every person who goes to church is a member of the body of christ there's a lot of churches today teaching from the book of second opinions uh, (laughs) instead of the bible And today, the fastest growing segment of the church is called the New Apostolic Reformation. Anybody heard of NAR? Have you heard that phrase mentioned? And uh, sadly, one of the leading churches is right here in California, up in the north. It's called Bethel Church, and uh, along with uh, partners like Hillsong and others. uh, The New Apostolic Reformation teaches that God's intended form of church governance is apostles and prophets, holding leadership over evangelists, pastors, and teachers. However, this has not been the case for the vast majority of Christian history. So according to the New Apostolic Reformation, God began to restore prophets and apostles over the last 30 to 40 years. And what verse was that? What verse was that predicted in? Anybody know? Well, if you find it, throw your Bible away because that's not in anybody's Bible. Only now, as the church is properly guided by the appropriate spiritual leaders, who, by the way, appoint each other, can it fulfill its commission. And the commission is seen as more than spiritual. It, can, it includes cultural and political control. Now, let me take your mind back to what I introduced this section with. This is the fastest growing segment of the church today. They believe and follow after these apostles. And we have to remember the book of Acts says they continue daily in the apostles doctrines and teachings and the prayers and breaking bread from house to house and the other things that the book of Acts says. Now, these people, because they claim to be apostles, just like Peter, James, and John, and the others, that means that their spoken word is equal to the written word and must be obeyed as apostolic doctrine. That's their claim. Now, in the New Apostolic Reformation, apostles are seen as the highest of all spiritual leaders, being specially empowered by God. True maturity and unity, per the new apostolic reformation, is only found in those who submit to the leadership of these apostles. In other words, you're not really a Christian unless you submit to these new apostles. And according to their teaching, as the church unifies behind these new apostles, these leaders will develop greater and greater supernatural powers. Eventually, this will include the ability to perform mass healings, eventually, and suspend the laws of physics. These signs are meant to encourage a massive wave of converts to Christianity. These apostles are also destined to be recipients of a great wealth transfer. Well, surprise, surprise, they expect to make money off of this. Which will enable the church to establish God's kingdom on the earth. They teach, promote, and pursue what is called Kingdom Now Theology or Dominion Theology, which contains what's called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Anybody heard of the Seven Mountain Mandate? And according to the Seven Mountain Mandate, the church must have dominion over seven seats of power or Jesus can't return. As soon as you start saying Jesus can't, you got a problem, right? Now their job is to prepare the world for the second coming. So are they expecting the rapture? Well, of course not. And the seven mountain mandate says that the church has to reign over education, over religion, over family, over business, over government and the military, over arts and entertainment. And number seven is over the media. And listen, if the church has to have control of the media for Jesus to come back, he ain't coming anytime soon. But this is just like Noah's day, right? The righteous were in charge of everything. No, not at all. And some of the largest and fastest growing segments of the church are part of this group, as I said, like Hillsong, Bethel Church, and others. And, you know, we ought to be suspicious of these things when we hear them advertising for coming to the school of miracles. Come and we'll teach you how to do miracles. Well, my Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12:11 that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts individually individually. As he wills. And if he doesn't want you to have the gift of miracles, it doesn't matter how long you go to school, you ain't going to get it. Right? He distributes the gifts individually as he wills. And you don't need to go to class for it. Thank you, Jesus. Now, listen to these numbers from Quora.com. There are an estimated 2.42 billion Christians in the world. Most of the world's Christians do not believe in the rapture. For instance, all of these groups reject the rapture wholesale. The Catholic Church, 1.285 billion. Anglicans, 85 million. The Eastern Orthodox Church, 270 million. The Oriental Orthodox Church, 86 million. Most Protestant churches reject the rapture as well, including the Lutheran. All Calvinist and Presbyterian churches, uh, Methodists, etc., reject the rapture. It's mainly a doctrine of Baptists, according to Quora.com, Baptists and Pentecostalists. But in the U.S., uh, uh, members of other denominations tend to believe in, uh, in it sometimes, too, more than they would elsewhere. So put all that together. And what that means is out of 2.42 billion Christian people who identify as a Christian in the world, 6.6% believe in the rapture. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm coming when expectation of my coming is low. I'm coming when my own people do not expect it. Is most of the church expecting the rapture? This church is, right? Yes. Now, here's our last observation. Listen, when the church begins following trends instead of truth, Jesus is coming soon. When the church begins following trends instead of truth, Jesus is coming soon. After all, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, early in the passage in Matthew 5, 13 to 14, 14 you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for what? Nothing. Nothing But to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, how many have ever heard of the phrase of somebody being worth their salt? You ever heard that phrase? It goes all the way back to Roman times because Roman soldiers were often paid in salt because the meat they would kill would be packed in salt and would act as a preservative. Jesus was giving an illustration that everybody would instantly relate to. But they would also recognize that there was a time where salt would lose its preservative capabilities. And what would happen then is they would take that used up salt and throw it out on the many Roman roads that worked their way uh, through whatever area or region that they lived in. And it would be kind of a top coat on the highways. And Jesus is saying, you know, when the church quits being a preservative to the world and holding back uh, the slide of immorality, then it's going to get run over by the world. Is that happening today? absolutely and when the church loses its preserving and purifying influence in the world and begins to be trampled by cultural activism when the church is no longer the light of the world light being a metaphor for truth then what point is there in continuing the church age it will be as it was in the days of noah where the world ignores the impending signs of judgment preached by the relatively few in number You know, it's interesting. Has anybody been to the Ark Project back in uh, Kentucky? It's just an incredible thing to see the Ark built to scale uh, exactly as the dimensions were set um, in the book of Genesis uh, for Noah to build. But one of the things I've always wondered about the population of the Earth, because we have to remember that mankind was in near genetic perfection. They were genetically perfect when Adam and Eve were born. They lived a long time, eight and nine hundred years, as we go through uh, Genesis chapter five and see how long people lived. And I always wondered how many people were on the planet. And uh, one particular plaque, when I uh, toured the Ark Project, uh, caught my eye, and I'll never forget it because it answered a question that had been plaguing me for years. And Ken Ham had set a group of mathematicians and scientists, biologists, and geneticists together and had them figure out with the lifespan, near genetic perfection, the the birth rate and what it would have been uh, with that near genetic perfection multiplied by the length of time that people lived. They have calculated that at the time of the flood, there were over 16 billion people living on the earth. Twice as many as right now. How many got on the boat? Eight. Jesus said, that's what it's going to be like when I'm coming back. Nobody's going to be expecting me. In comparison to the global population, the righteous are going to be relatively few in number. Are we there yet? Yeah, we're living there right now. Jesus is coming soon. And I submit to you tonight that the rapture being unexpected by the majority of the world all of the world actually most jews and the vast majority of the church tells us with that level of unexpected expectation we should expect it at any moment And that's exactly what he was saying to us somebody should say amen there if i was sitting out there i'd say amen to that but you know I, i love what jesus said and I think it's probably the most crucial thing that we highlight in the midst of all the specifics and details we talked about tonight. He said, therefore, you also be ready. Because the fact of the matter is, when he's ready, it's too late to get ready. Because Paul said in First Corinthians 15, this whole process takes place in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Now, I want to do a little exercise for you. I'm not going to go through all the, you know, the millionth of a nanosecond and the measuring of a twinkle versus a blink and, you know, all the stuff that, all the gymnastics that have been done over that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want you to do something. Just just do this real quick. Just blink one time. Just blink. One of these times when you do that, when you open them, you're going to be looking at Jesus. That's why he said, be ready. Because if you're not ready, it's too late to get ready. When he says to that angel, blow that trumpet, I'm going to get my bride. You need to be ready right now. The signs are all around us. And Peter said, you know, uh, in the last days, one of the indications that we're in them is going to be scoffers. People saying, "Oh, where's the promise of his coming? Since the father fell asleep or since our ancestors died, we've been hearing this and hearing this and hearing this. And where is he? He hasn't come. You know how often that's said today? I don't believe in the rapture. It hasn't happened yet. Well, you'll believe in it afterwards. Right? And, you know, there's people, based on what Paul said, you know, about not receiving the love of the truth to the church of Thessaloniki. There are some who say, you know, if you heard the gospel and didn't respond to it and then the rapture happens, you can't be saved after the rapture. I don't agree with that. Because you don't have to respond to the gospel the first time you hear it now. Right? Doesn't the Bible say one plants, another waters, and another harvests in their process? Well, I think the harvesting thing, after some have planted and some have watered, I think the harvest is going to be major after the rapture of the church. And that's why the Bible talks about this numberless multitude. But listen, I highly recommend skipping the whole tribulation thing. You can Because the fact of the matter is, this this man who's already setting up the world. And you you remember what happened during the pandemic when it was in its throes? And, you know, somebody that doesn't take the the vaccine, you know, we should withhold health care from them. We should not allow them to conduct business. They should be ostracized. You see, the mentality is already there, and that's why I want to get the point home tonight that we are close to events that will be fulfilled during the tribulation. So the rapture has to be out in front of that, maybe even today. Because all these things are a setup for what the man of sin is going to do. The world has to have a collective mindset already that there are enemies to their agenda. Are we being treated like that today? We are the enemies of the greater good. Uh, You know, think about the Mark of the Beast. And, you know, there's a lot of things that that we like to insert into Scripture and try and maybe explain it. And, you know, we watch the old Billy Graham movies. And, you know, the Mark of the Beast was this big, huge barcode on people's heads, you know. And that's when the barcode first got introduced. And then the radio frequency implant device came around, a grain, a grain of rice sized chip that's implanted under the skin. That came around. That's the mark of the beast. Well, then there's biometric tattoos that came around. They're interactive and can be read from other devices near you, and it's, that's got to be it. Well, it could be. Could be an RFID chip. Could be a biometric tattoo that lies on the surface of the skin. But you know, the word mark, the word, it's a kragma in the Greek. And it just, you know what it actually means? means a brand, a hot iron branding your skin. It could be just as simple as you have to have the mark of the devil on you in order to go to the gas station or into the grocery store or to conduct any kind of business that's in a recognizable place, the hand of the forehead. But you know, the great thing about it is, is that the great escape precedes the great tribulation. And we don't have to make a decision about the mark. The decision has to be made right now. You're either for him or against him. There's no middle group. You know, uh, the pastor of a church I was a part of for a long time, he used to say to be undecided is to be decided. You say, I haven't made a decision. Well, yeah, yeah. There's only two camps. You're either for him or you are against him. And if you're against him, you're not ready. But you can get ready just like that. Confess your sin. You know, and that, that's an interesting thing, especially today. With That same passage in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Most unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. But, you know, the, the, the thing that gets missed on that is the word confess means to see as or speak of as the same. So, in other words, if you agree with God's definitions of sin, and acknowledge you are amongst the sinners. Because he is just and faithful, he will cleanse you of all sin. Because that's what he came to do. But you see, we, we can't have our own definitions. We have to agree with his. That's what being saved is all about. And this is what's happening in the church today. And that's why I mentioned the book of Second Opinions, because so many people are teaching it because so many people want to hear it. That's what Paul talked about in Second Timothy chapter 4. The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. The word endure can be translated as put up with. I'm going to put up with sound doctrine. They hear something that's sound. They hear something that's biblical. They hear something that's out of step with culture. They hear something that is, is against the social justice movement. And uh, something that is right and true from Scripture, they won't put up with that. But they will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know the passage, right? You know the word fables can also be translated as fabrications. You know what a fabrication is? Something somebody made up. There's a whole group and it's the fastest growing movement in the church today that is making stuff up. And people are following them in droves. Don't be among them. If you're not ready, get ready. Get ready right now. Because I think he could come before the final amen. And you know, the the interesting thing, if you you refuse to take the mark during the tribulation, you're going to die. You know, and, and Revelation makes it very clear that the means of death is going to be beheading. But the interesting thing about that, you know, when we think of beheading, where do our minds go? Guillotine. Knife, smooth, fast, quick, over. Actually, the word beheading means to chop off with an axe. It's brutal. It's slow. It's painful. Because you have to remember, the devil's behind all of this. And he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to make life as painful as possible and people's death as painful as possible as well. And, you know, one of the things I think we need to remember is that the devil hates his own followers, too. He doesn't love those who follow him. He hates them too. He wants to see them dead, because after death there's no opportunities for salvation. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo. It's pointed on the man wants to die and after this, the judgment. So I hope you're ready. I pray you're ready. I know you're in a well-taught church, and uh, maybe you're visiting tonight. And I just want to encourage you: um, make sure that you're ready by being born again. Being born again is not an option. It's a mandate. You must be born again. Jesus himself said it. He said, if you're not, you're not going to heaven. Loose paraphrase, but that's what he said. So make sure you're ready for that blink, open, look at Jesus moment that could happen at any moment. Somebody say, Amen. 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 Father, we are grateful for your word again tonight. We thank you for our time together and the things that you've revealed to us uh, that we would not be unaware of. Of the lateness of the hour. Or our need for readiness for your return. So Lord I pray. Should there be any here tonight. Who are unready that they get ready. By acknowledging that they are a sinner in need of a savior. And that the only savior that heaven has provided. Is the person of Jesus Christ. The son of almighty God. Who came into the world to save sinners. I pray that they would make this agreement with your. Sin definitions. And their need for the one supplied to cover their sin in his own blood. So we pray, Lord, that that confession would be made even now in their own hearts that they might be saved and miss all the things coming upon this world. But most importantly, Lord, that they would be reconciled to you and have that relationship you desire to have with them. We thank you for our time together tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.